so let's again, uh, I would like to just pray one more time. Uh, more prayer, more power. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your tender regard for us. We thank you, Father, for your word. And Lord, as we're about to open our Bibles and look at inspiration, we recognize that in our natural selves, we cannot understand the deep things of God. And I know to many, Father, the things I'm going to share today, they have heard. But I ask for an extra portion of your Holy Spirit that that is not just about hearing. I ask, Father, that the, the Spirit finds his way to our hearts, that we can be what you desire us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So today we're dealing with the subject matter, the subject matter, the anatomy of temptation, the anatomy of temptation. Hopefully you can hear me perfectly fine, and we can we can just delve into it. Now, as we, we looking at the anatomy of temptation, I want to look at a couple of stories, and then we're going to actually look at the actual anatomy of it. So I want to go back to the book of Genesis, the beginning of our earth family. And I want us to look at Genesis chapter three, and we're going to take some notes and some observations. In Genesis chapter three, and we're going to begin reading at verse number one. Pay close attention. In Genesis chapter three and verse one, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So that story, I'm setting that story up, is right there. You can see there's an encounter between the serpent, which we know the devil and Satan is using a medium, if you will, to communicate with Eve in a way that seems innocent initially. Now keep that in mind. I want you to now open your Bible with me. Go to the book of Luke, Luke Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Notice this. In Matthew chapter 4, notice the, the introduction is initially innocent. Okay? Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Interesting. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So I want to stop right there. So in both these instances, you have a, 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 a being. In, in Genesis chapter 3, it's a serpent. The medium is speaking to the woman. In, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 24, there is no medium. The enemy is simply presenting himself to Christ, but he's, he's cloaking himself as if he's an angel from heaven. He's always covering himself. He's not coming out outright. He never does that. But you can tell, listen to me, but you can tell who the person is when they begin to speak. When they begin to speak. Now, with that in mind, hold your positions in both Matthew chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 3. We're now going to go to the book of James. James is instructive. And James will give you the framework of how the temptations work. And then we're going to go back to the stories. And you're going to see exactly how they are applied in the stories. So in James chapter 1. Listen to this. I was going to begin reading in verse number one, if that's all right. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy. Now, hold on. <laughs> There's an instruction. Count it all joy. For what? When ye fall into divers 
temptations. Now, when it says fall, it doesn't mean that you fail. It means more so that when temptations come your way, count it all joy. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been tempted, I don't know if you've ever rejoiced because you're being tempted. I mean, that would have to take a mind shift, right? When I'm being tempted, I'm, I am supposed to rejoice. What is supposed to be transpiring while this temptation is taking place? Notice, notice what it says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Knowing this, knowing what? That the trying of your faith worketh patience. So when a temptation is presented, I'm supposed to, as a Christian, rejoice. Why? Because now it's time for my faith to be actuated. Now it's time for my faith to be refined. Now it's time for my faith to be strengthened. Count it all joy. Why? Because it's time to grow. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Stay with me. Notice what else the Bible says. Then it says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting how much? Wanting nothing. So temptation has a role. Temptation has a place. The purpose and the place for the temptation God allows so that you and I can be tried. You and I can be refined. You and I can have our faith developed and as it's developed it works patience and as it's working patience it works that development of christian character so rejoice i remember reading <laughs> uh, a story about one of the wesley brothers and for a time one of the wesley brothers had not been persecuted they had not been prosecuted for their faith because they had often been mocked for their methodology you know their methodism and so they had that he had he had not been mocked for a time and he knelt on his knees and asked God, you know, is he living right? Because all who live righteously will suffer persecution. That's what he that's what he believed. So he's like, Lord, am I doing something wrong? And as he's kneeling down and he's praying, someone throws a rock at him. He's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, friends, what a different way to look at temptation and persecution. Trials means. God is watching and developing you. You remember the story of Job? You know the story of Job? That's not the focus of my story, but it came to mind just now. You know the story of Job as he's living? The Bible says he was a perfect man. He eschewed evil. He lived righteously. And the devil saw his righteous living and challenged God to say, the only reason why he's living righteously is because you bless him. Let me touch him. And I promise you, he will curse you to, his, to your face. And the, devil, and the Lord allowed the enemy to come and to tempt and disturb and cause distress. Tell me, my friends, have you been distressed? Have you been tempted? Are you going through a thing? Let me tell you something. God is allowing that because he's trying to work something out in you. It doesn't mean you give in. It doesn't mean you give up. It just means that God is working something special in you. Are you having financial issues? Are you having relationship problems? Are you having car problems? Are you having church family issues? Are you have? Uh, I'm telling you, friends, the, the 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 temptations, the struggles, the stresses are designed to create these diamonds, my friends, in the rough. It, it takes pressure to develop that. Now, my, now, as I'm as I'm going through this, I want you to pay attention. I'm I'm laying principles. There's a reason for temptation. There's an allowance by God for them. Now, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I want you to jump down now to verse number 12. Pay attention. Because here we begin to be, begin to unlock what we call the anatomy of temptation itself. The Bible says in verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Mm. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord have promised to them that, what's it say? that love him. Now watch, watch. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Watch. But every man is tempted. Now we're getting to the anatomy, pay attention. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust 
and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now I've I've taken the the privilege of trying to create a diagram of sorts. <laughs> I gotta work on it some more, but here's my diagram. This is one of my gospel equations. I have several equations that I work on, but this is one of the many gospel equations that I have. So in this equation, notice what James says. James says, a man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Interesting. So what is a lust? The word lust doesn't always refer to sexual desire. That's not what lust means. Lust simply means desire. That's all it means. It means desire. It means that which you want right? That's what you want. Now, pay attention because I'm going to help you understand that sin is not just smoking weed and having sex outside of marriage. Sin is much more pervasive than that when we're talking about overcoming it. Watch now. So uh, you're drawn away of your own lust, and then it says, and entice. When it says entice, that means you've yielded to the calling of the lust, right? So let's use something that that is easy and simple. And I just, I want you to follow along principally, okay? So don't don't run from here saying Brother Waller is a legalist and all this. I just, just pay attention. So let's just say you like carob cake or you like chocolate cake or you like paydays. Let's, we're using appetite for the moment, okay? Let's just say you have a liking for these things. Now, if you like it, that's your own desire. That's your own lust. We're, 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 we have a little bit, we're developing the anatomy now. You have your own desire. You have your own lust. You have that which you would like to do. However, you know that right now at this time, you are on a diet. You are, you're saying, you know what? I don't want to imbibe these things at this time, right? I don't, I don't want to imbibe these things. However, you have a friend of yours who is the master cake maker. They are in the lab creating your special chocolate cake with peanut butter and you may not like peanut butter but you know you like this special mixture whatever it might be right and so they're making this cake and you have in yourself already a desire for it but now they're making a cake and the smell is wafting through the air <laughs> it grabs your nose your nostrils and you're like no i must not yield to my desire of course you don't say it that way and then when you are being enticed, because that's what that smell is doing, it's enticing you, and then you yield to it, okay? <clears throat> so when the Bible says this, now when the Bible's highlighting this, it says, I read it again in your hearing, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now, everybody's lust is not the same. I mean, let me, let me, let me illustrate this. So let's just say, uh, there's tree bark outside. And I said to you, this tree bark tastes wonderful. And you would look at me strangely. You know, some of you would. There might be one of you who thinks tree bark is actually good. But for me, I know I'm a vegetarian, but it, I'm not eating tree bark unless it's like, you know, some type of herbal remedy or something, right? So I'm, I am, I'm not down for tree bark on a regular basis. That's not something I'm enticed with. There's no, there's nothing in me that has a desire for it. So if somebody waves it in front of me, I'm just like, yeah, uh, no, I'm good, right? So the way it works is you have to have the inkling or the desire inside of you first before it can be enticing, before someone can try to pull it from you. So you can't entice me to want to be a garbage collector. It's not a, uh, there's nothing there. Just, you can't entice me with that. I have no desire. There's nothing, it stinks. It's a, it's a stinky job. There's no, uh, there's no benefits there. I, I, I really have no desire, although I know they get paid very well in New York, right? I, but I have no desire for that. There's nothing in me that would desire said thing. So the desire has to be inside of me in order for an enticement to take place. Everybody got that? All right, stay with me. Once the desire and the enticement meet, then conception takes place. Notice, notice what it says. Again, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, or well, how did it get, how did it conceive? 
where desire met action. And when desire met action, they had a baby, they conceived. And that baby starts out small, but in its full maturation, the Bible says, lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth, what's it say, my friends? Bringeth forth death. So here's the, here's the anatomy. You have to have a desire inside of you. There has to be an enticement inside or outside of you. They must meet and have intercourse. Upon intercourse is the conception. And the, from that conception, there's a, a natural waiting period where that, con that conception turns into a full-blown baby. And when that baby is fully grown, it ultimately leads to death. Are you following me, my friends? I've just given you the anatomy of temptation. So here's, here's the trick. The question is, the question is, what are your desires and who is enticing? Huh? What are your desires and who is enticing? Go back now to the book of Genesis. Now we're ready to look at that story. Look at Genesis again. The woman is having a conversation with the serpent. She doesn't know it's the devil. She's been warned. But she's enchanted because there's a talking serpent. Watch, watch, watch the Bible. Verse number one again. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, ye should not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So notice, notice, notice how the devil works. He's causing now the woman to question the very instruction of the word. He's giving her a new word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The word of God said, don't do this. Don't don't execute. Don't don't go down this route. Don't don't go. Don't go stay over that boy's house tonight. You know how it is. You know, if you go over there, you're weak. You want to give in. Don't don't go over there. Then something else comes in your brain. It's like, you know what? But, you know, we don't have to do that. I mean, I'm strong. You strong, girl. You strong. You know, you're strong. Mm -hmm. And then you get over there. You see, you see what I'm saying, brothers? You can't just sit in the midst of what you know is drawing you. That's danger. You say, Brother Waller, what are you talking to us about this for? I mean, we're, we're at an Adventist school. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly why I'm talking to you about this. Because with us, we have a cloak of religiosity, but we are secretly behind closed doors, breaking God's heart because we don't understand how to live a life of victory. Mercy. Notice, notice, notice the text. Notice the text. It says, verse three, but of the fruit of the trees of the midst of the garden, God have said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said, ye shall not surely die, questioning now the word of God. Then he says, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And you know, the enemy's real slick here because he's speaking as if knowing good and evil is a good thing. As if God is hiding it from her. But notice, I want you to know something about Eve. Because there's a lot of hate on Eve for no reason. Watch this. Watch, watch what I'm going to tell you. Eve had no evil propensity in her being. Not one. She had, when I say propensity, she had no leaning towards evil. She had no leaning for bad. She had nothing that... So when she's thinking of being like God, she's thinking of being like God. She's not thinking of taking God's place. She's thinking of how can I be as loving as God? How can I be as awesome as God is? And she's literally hearing these words through a pure mind. But notice, notice the structure of the temptation. I'm going to highlight these three points. You don't want to miss them. Notice this. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for, what's it good for, my friends? Good for food. Good for food. When a, when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, interesting, and that it was pleasant to the eye. So now we have good for food. That's, that's for my body. Pleasant to the eyes. 
That's my eyes, my body and my eyes. Then it says, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Oh, that's that's the intellect. That's, you know, your wisdom is used to advance in life, right? So now there's a there's a temptation on three three levels here. For my flesh, for my eyes, and for the pride of life. All three are being tested in this one temptation. All three, right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve is under attack. And she doesn't even know it. Please note, my friends, this is how the devil tempts you and me. He uses your eyes. You see that nice car? <laughs> you know it's outside your budget, but you see it. And you're like, yo, I got to have that. Hmm? I got to have that. The flesh is calling this, you, that good-looking brother, that good-looking sister. You know you just had Bible study. Come on now. You know you just had Bible study, but for some reason, it's gone beyond Bible study at this point. And now you try to cover it up with prayer. Y'all not hearing me. You see, the devil works in these spaces where for the lust of the eyes and the and the and then finally, my friends, some of us. We just want to be filthy rich for the sake of being rich and powerful. But we don't care who we step on. And the devil's like, yeah, come this way, man. I'll show you how to be rich. I'll show you how pride of life. And, and, and let me back up. I'm speaking of these things in a negative. However, however, taking care of your body, your flesh, what you see with your eyes, and having wisdom to, to navigate life in a prosperous way is actually a blessing. That's actually a very good thing. So what the devil does, he perverts how we get to what God has already promised us, my friends. And we're using these limited eyes, these limited fleshly desires, these limited uh, 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 ideas of ascending and being powerful and being rich and being famous and being influential, whether it be in the church or in the world. We use these limited things to make our decisions. And it's upon this that the devil gets us. Huh? See, if, you see, if Eve had simply been enticed by the word of God and not by the word of Lucifer, see, her desires were pure. Her desire to eat good food was there. Her desire to, to see beautiful things was there. Her desire to have a greater intellect was there. Those were good. She was being enticed. What was she being enticed by? By the false word. You see, when your desires are connected with God's word and you, are, you conceive, you know what you conceive? Righteousness. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. Huh? Let me say it again. When your desires are moved by the word of God and the word of God and your desires come into oneness, there is a conception that takes place. And that conception that takes place is righteousness. And that righteousness is not yours. It's actually God's righteousness. But you and I, we have our lusts. <laughs> we have our desires. And we don't want to go by God's word. We want to go by our, our eyes. The good, the sweet enchantments of the self-help community, huh? The sweet enchantments of someone that whispers in our ears that we are greater than what we really are. Huh? We're being enticed. And Eve, right here, she's being enticed. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Now, Eve was deceived. Adam was not. So this is, this is why the Bible does not put the onus on the woman. The woman had pure motive. She did not fully understand what was transpiring, but she was enticed the wrong way. However, Adam, the head, my man messed up. For some, somewhere along the way, his temptation is not verbalized here, but his temptation was this. Man, God gave me this woman. She's beautiful. She's awesome. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I... I, I, I would rather die because that's what he knew. He, he knew that death was the next step. I would rather die than be without her. So I'll die with her. Now, even that, my friends, listen to me, even that desire by Adam to rather die with her than to just be by himself, that desire is actually a, a somewhat noble. But what he didn't do was trust in God's person and his character to navigate this very tricky situation. Are you following so as the king of the planet Earth, uh, Adam yields his crown to an imposter. Mercy. 
The first Adam yields his crown to an imposter. So now the devil, the prince of this world at that time, now begins to rule and dominate. Instead of love being the guiding principle for all creation, now death, sorrow, and decay are evident. And God has to make a promise. Notice the promise. Notice the promise. Notice the promise. I, I, we, we, we looked at the anatomy of the, of, of the temptation here. We've looked at the three points by which the devil does all of his temptation. All of his temptations work on these three points. So watch. You jump down here in Genesis chapter three. And I want to read. I want to read. Hmm. I don't want to read the whole thing. I, I want to read verse number nine. Verse number eight. Now, Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. They're both naked. There's no question about their nakedness. Verse number eight says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do, my friends? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I heard thy what? Thy voice. Wait. Or how are we enticed? How are we? What calls us? What? Well, it's the word of God. Pay attention to what's happening. Now, when God speaks, man is running in the opposite direction. God speaks and they're thinking, oh, his words are, are too hard. No, brothers and sisters, listen to me. When God speaks, those words are the words that will give us victory. Those words are the words that will give us strength. Those words that Jesus speaks are the ones that will give us life. And when we reject the word, when we run and hide from the word, tell me, what did Adam and Eve do when they written and hid from the word? Tell me what they did. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll read it right here. The Bible says in verse eight, and they heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the, amongst the what? Amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Watch this. And I was afraid because I was, what's it say? I was naked. What? You were afraid because you were naked? And I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Interesting question. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So now, now becomes the cascade of, of, of accusation against somebody else. It's somebody else's fault that I am the way I am today. Pause. I need you to think. Nakedness is always equated in the scripture with shame. So when they eat the fruit, the impact of yielding to temptation creates this condition of shame. Do you know, this is interesting because in Genesis chapter two, when Adam and Eve marry, when they marry, verse number 25 says, verse 24 says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be, what's it say? One flesh, again, a symbol of God. Then it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Interesting that in oneness and unity with each other and with God, they were naked and no shame. So now, because sin has entered into the picture, now there is shame. That's why, listen to me, that's why when we do something wrong, we feel shame because we have separated from God. So what do we do? You know, so I, if you're having sex before marriage, there's the feeling of shame. Now, the more you do it, the more callous you become, and the more callous you become, the less shameful you feel. And that's why people right now can make videos and be completely and totally naked, talking about a bunch of junk, and nobody feels any shame. They'll listen to it with no problem. They'll watch it with no problem because we have become so desensitized by sin. Nakedness is evidence of sin. Shame. Who told you you were naked? 
Did you eat from the fruit that I told you not of? You ate from what I told you not to do, and now you're feeling guilty? I, I get you. I understand. So here's what I'm going to do. But, but I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the effects of this, though. Adam blames his wife. The wife blames the serpent. The serpent has nothing to say. Okay, because it can't, it's not talking now. It was talking before, it's not talking at this point. <laughs> but then when Adam begins to blame his wife, what he's really saying is, God, you're responsible for me falling into this sin. If you had never put me here, I would have never done X. I'm telling you, my friends, there are many of us that blame God for our lives being messed up as they are. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me well. You would be right to blame God except that God has made a way of escape. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like literally on every level, I don't care what level it is. He has made a way of escape for you. And I'm going to share with you that way of escape in a few short moments because time is running out. Okay. I want you to go with me to the book. Of, oh, oh, before I get to that book, I want you to notice, I notice, notice what God says in verse 15. This is a promise that God makes to his people after he goes through to deal with each one of these characters after they've placed blame on the serpent notice what the bible says in verse 15 the bible says and i will put enmity between thee and the woman speaking to the serpent and between thy seed and her seed it the seed which is christ galatians 4 or galatians 3 verse 15 and it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heal so the seed is going to crush the head when it says bruise it means crush it's going to crush the head of satan and satan is going to bruise the heel of christ speaking of christ let's go to luke matthew i keep saying luke go with me to matthew matthew chapter four remember they both begin their encounter dealing with this evil being it says then was jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he was afterward and hungered and when the tempter came to him he said if thou be the son of god command that these stones be made bread so right here the angel comes down. He's looking like an angel, but he's not an angel. When he opens his mouth, he is presenting doubt, just like he did with Eve. He presented doubt to Eve. Did God really say? If you are the son of God, well, God already declared to his son. Jesus was already baptized, and he already had his father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was already declared to him. His identity was clear. If you are the son of God come down <laughs> turn these stones into bread if you're the son of god upon the opening of the serpent's mouth identifies who he is anything that causes you to doubt inspiration is of the devil and i'm telling you friends i just happened the other day to be perusing a television station came across a show set there for about three four minutes and immediately in that show, they were already blaspheming the character of God, the person of God, insinuated. It's not like they come out front all the time. Sometimes they just insinuate it. And when they begin to insinuate that, brothers and sisters, don't sit there to watch that. That is the seed of the devil being planted into your mind so that when you come upon temptation, that seed begins to grow. The devil's man, he's not, he is playing for keeps right now, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, I have, I have never in my life seen so much blatant rebellion against God. Never in my life. It's crazy right now. Don't sit there and watch that. Don't be entertained by the devil's TV shows. Don't be entertained by the devil's YouTube channel. Don't be, don't do it. You can't, you can't. <laughs> how, how do I say this? You don't have natural ability to fight the devil like that. You don't. Watch, 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 watch. So he, he, he says, if you are the son of God, then Jesus responds. How does Jesus respond? You see, Eve did not respond the way Jesus responds. Jesus responds with the word of God, but he answered and said, verse four, it is written. 
Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So how did he respond? It is written. Well, brothers and sisters, did he have a Bible when he was doing that? No, 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 no. He had a, the word of God. He was the word of God. And that word is written in his heart. He had memorized that from, from the Old Testament. It is written. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. The devil then takes him up into a city, into the holy city, and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple. For a moment, oh, before I go any further, you notice that the devil tempted Jesus via his flesh because he knew Jesus was hungry. Is there anything wrong with eating? No. So Jesus' lust was to eat. That was in him. He was hungry. The temptation, the enticement was eat bread, use your power. That's the enticement. But that wasn't the word of God. So already Jesus short circuits the temptation by not yielding to the enticement. Nope, that's not what the word says. So I'm not I'm not going there. I'm hungry, but the word didn't tell me to do it this way. The word told me to go into the wilderness. I'm in the wilderness. The Lord led him to the to, to the wilderness to be tempted. I'm here. I'm only going to obey what the word says to do. Are you hearing me? Your protection is the word. You see, you short circuit the temptation by knowing this is my desire. I desire to be married. I desire to be with someone. However, the word doesn't tell, give me permission to sleep with whomever I want to sleep with just to show them that I love them. The word doesn't give me permission to sleep with someone of the same sex. The word does not give me permission to do that. I only can move based on the word. That is your safety. That is your protection. It is written. He tempts you in your flesh. Then he takes some, watch this now, watch this now. The Bible says in verse number six, and he said unto him, if thou be the son of God, again, cast thyself down for it is written, for it is written. Now the devil is using the Bible. Well, how do you counteract the devil using the Bible? For it is written. He have given his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Mm. Mercy. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Jesus uses the Bible. The devil uses the Bible. The devil uses the Bible out of context. The devil uses the Bible in, in a way to, to challenge the identity of him. No, my friends. You see, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says. It's you have to know the spirit of what the scripture says. You have to be in tune with the most high. You have to be in oneness with the most high. You say, Brother Waller, I don't know my Bible like that. Well, this is why I'm telling you, spend more time in the scripture. Spend more time. When I say scripture, I'm not just talking about intellectual sense to the information that's written on the page. I'm talking about fellowship with the one who wrote the pages. Know the author. If you know the author, you know how the text is supposed to be used. Know the author. Fellowship with the Most High. It is our privilege to have fellowship with him. Notice, notice, time is eluding me here. <laughs> the Bible says, verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up unto an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. Showing him, so he's showing him, right? He's showing him with his eyes. Now tell me something, tell me something. Did Jesus have any evil propensity within him? any inkling towards bad inside his body? The answer is no. He had no inkling towards evil. So what's the temptation? The temptation is to take the easy way out to save the world. That's the temptation right here. Notice. And again, the devil taking them up into a city high mountain and shows them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee. First off, the devil doesn't own nothing, even though he, as an imposter, thinks he rules the world. Jesus came to take the crown from the devil. Can you imagine this? This guy thinks, what? It's like somebody coming to my house and says, hey, Andre, I'm going to sell you your house. What do you mean? I own the house already. This is my house. If you bow down to me, I will give you everything. Hmm. Lust of the flesh, shows him with his eyes, the pride of life. See, temptation doesn't always have to be for bad things. Temptation can be for good things at the wrong time. Let me say it again. Temptation can be for good things at the wrong time. And Jesus said, 
get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now, my friends, listen, listen, listen to this, listen to this. You see Jesus on all three points, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, overcomes in all three points. You see Jesus was tempted in all three areas that we are tempted in. He didn't have to be tempted to, to smoke weed. Somebody says, you know what, Jesus doesn't know what it means to smoke. Listen, let me tell you something. If, which, is great, which is a greater temptation? To have sex outside of marriage or to eat food? After you fast for 40 days, which will be the greater draw? Well, having sex is not going to be the greater draw. Eating is going to be the greater draw. Are you following me? I'm telling you that the temptations that Jesus had to endure in all three categories were superseded any temptation that you can possibly go through. And Jesus, as our helper, stands as intercessor in the heavenly places. So if you need victory in any of these three categories, Jesus is overcome. Are you here? On Calvary, what did they say? Jesus, come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. They were tempting him. Come down from the cross and we will believe you. The only way temptation works is if the desire is in the person already. Oh, I love this. I love this, my friends. The text just came to my mind. I'm going to see if it's the actual one. In John chapter 12. And if I can't have the actual text. Yes. I think it's it. Yes, here it is. Look at this. Watch this. I love this. John chapter 12. And it says, and I want to say it's verse 44, but the prince, the prince of this world cometh and hath found nothing in me. John chapter 12. You guys looked up, look at that up on your own. The prince of this world cometh. And have nothing in me. That's the phraseology. I can't find it right now. Fill in the pressure. So uh, think about this. In every area, the devil came to tempt Jesus. Tempt Jesus on this side, this side, this side, this side. And all those areas, he could not get to him. He could not get at him. Jesus lived absolute perfect life. And I'm telling you something, that life that he lives, that victory that he had, he's going to give you that victory. He's not asking you to have a new victory. He's asking you to take his victory in your life. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John. Time is running, boy. Look at here. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, my friends, we don't want the world. We don't want its desires. We don't want its passion. We don't want, we need Jesus. The Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil. That's how you win. Submission, submission before resistance. Submission to the word of God before you resist the devil. Some of us have been fighting the devil and we're losing every time. And we're thinking God is losing. God is not losing. He's not, he's not failing us. We have failed to submit. Yield to the enticement of the word. The word says, the word says. The word says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This is God's word to us. In fact, with my last seven minutes, I want to read something to you. Go with me to Second Peter. Friends, I'm giving you science right now. Biblical science. Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one. Watch this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, notice what the Bible says, beginning at verse number 3. The Bible says, according as his divine power have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and what's it say? And virtue. Watch this. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Notice there's three words used. Exceeding, great, precious. Now, you guys are going to school. Some of you in different areas of life, your professions, you take the time to study. 
You take the time to make sure you know the anatomy of the body, the physiology of the body, the chemical breakdowns on the, and you, you take your time to, to make sure your mind wraps around it. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you can't live without the promises. That means you must have them in your heart. You must memorize them. You're trying to be a Christian without Christ. It doesn't make sense. Hide the word in your heart. Spend time meditating on the word. And I'm not just talking about it knowing verbatim. I'm talking about know the word by knowing Christ in relationship until that word becomes part of your own thinking. I must hasten. Whereby I'm given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, you might be partakers of divine nature, divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you see it? How do you escape? Divine nature. How do you get divine nature? Promises. Hold on to those promises. Watch what happens. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Faith, virtue. Faith in what? The word. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. Huh? How do you get from you can't skip you can't skip knowledge and try to get the patience. And you can't skip temperance to get the patience. You have to go through all of these levels to get to patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness. You can't be kind to your brother without being tempted. Temp temperate. <laughs> huh? There are steps to this thing. They say there are levels to this, right? There are levels to this. Let me hasten into godliness, brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. And he that lacketh these things, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And I've forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Pay attention. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, what's it say? If ye do these things, if you follow the steps, ye shall never fall. So clearly, when you, you and I are falling, it's because we're not following these steps. We're not submitting to God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God first, then resist the devil. And then the devil will flee because he has no power against God. He has no power against God. God will, with, the, with every temptation, make a, way, make a way of escape. That's a promise. So what's your desire? How are you being enticed? God promises, brothers and sisters, that at some juncture in our Christian walk, our thoughts will be united with his thoughts. <laughs> our desires will become one with his desire. How does that happen? Fellowship. Sweet communion. Fellowship. In all three points, Jesus was tempted. In all three points, Jesus overcame. And that help is available to you and I. As he is in the most holy place, he's asking for fellowship. Hmm. The quote, Testimonies, Volume 7, page 17, says, Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior, God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one rather than allow him or her to be overcome. Do you believe the word of God? That's the question. That's the question. Have one minute. There's a song. I hope you go sing it today. It's called Yield Not to Temptation. I don't know if you know that song. I want to sing what I can in the time that I have. It says, yield not to temptation for yieldingness and each victory will help you some others to win. Fight manfully onward 
dark passions of Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. So why don't you ask the Savior to help you? Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Shun evil companions. Bad language disdain, God's name hold in reverence, don't take it in vain. Be thoughtful and earnest, kind-hearted and true. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through, so why don't you ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. My brothers and sisters, as we have heard the word of God, I just want to know, do you accept the victory that Christ has given for you? Will you accept the promises of God in your life so that you can be an overcomer? If that's your desire, you type it into the chat, put it on Facebook, bow your heads as we make this commitment. Father, forgive us for our sins. Please help us to yield to the enticement of your word that our passions reflect your passion, that our love reflect your love. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve and being so patient with us. Thank you for not throwing us off, Lord, when we have fallen away. But today, Father, we just ask for strength for this moment, for this time. Teach us how to submit to that awesome love. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merit of his blood. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.